0: How often do you get advantages like taking a true franchise quarterback at the first pick? Welcome to Jaguars Reporters, presented by TIAA Bank, with Brian Sexton, John Osher, Ashlyn Sullivan, and J.P. Shadrick. Jaguars Jaguars Reporters, presented by TIAA Bank, starts right now.
1: Welcome into Jaguars reporters. Today is Monday, April fifth. JP Shadrick, John Osher, Brian Sexton, Ashlyn Sullivan out today. We've got big things coming up. Did you hear this with Peter King? And everyone asks, including our favorite finish to a sporting event. John has the question of the day. Happy day after Easter, guys. What's up, Bry?
2: Uh had a wonderful Easter. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just. Um... Such a beautiful day, and uh, I was out in the Panhandle and stopped in Tallahassee to go to mass and met a bunch of people who were Jaguars fans. It was um, it was an epic day, just phenomenal. And Easter supposed to be? It is, John. Yeah, I won't call
3: mine epic. It was a good Easter. It was it it, it was a good Easter without being
2: epic. How's that?
1: I uh, rode my bike around and ate an ice cream cone. Where was pretty the good ice cream, day. cream cone from? Dreamette. Oh,
2: Marie Hill. Wow. Been there forever. Did you go out and do the rails to trails again? No. No. I did not. Did you ride your bike over the bridge to You're Marie asking Hill? too
1: many questions, Brian. Well, everyone I asks, right? Just ride right? the bike around. I'm right, right. We're not there yet. That's later in the Good. show. Did you go over the bridge to Marie Hill no, on your bike? I'm did not. i not going over the bridge. So you didn't ride your bike, bike to get ice cream. I put you the rode the bike your bike in the car, went period. over the bridge, I got, ice got ice cream. out, rode Explanation around, point. put it back in the car, drove to the ice cream place. Okay. You With almost guy have out without the bike. I could have just drove the whole time, I guess. Remember to subscribe to the official Jaguars Podcast Network. It's on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Give us the five-star treatment. As always, let's start with big things today, and I'll get us going today. Phase one starts now April 19th. Workouts in small groups will be allowed, and teams have been told to prepare to conduct meetings virtually when the off-season program begins, whenever that is coming up down the line. And, you know, I think it's key here, guys, also to remember the definition of voluntary. It's Urban Meyer's first time in this. It feels like he's going to be used to having guys around. That may or may not be the case because it is a voluntary period coming up. Yeah, you know,
2: I'm always reminded of the word uh, voluntold, right? Um, <laughs> and, and and we use that in the Boy Scouts a lot. You know, have you been voluntold to go and clean up the latrine? Um, you, you're not... It is voluntary, and there will be players that will do this. But if, even if I'm a veteran player around here, I'm, I'm sort of feeling a strong push towards making my presence known because everything is so new. And they have cleaned out some people and some things in this building that if you're a player who's been around here, I would think you'd want to come and get a lay of the land. Well, and usually that's how it
3: works. My experience is most veterans... Even the guys who normally don't show up for voluntary workouts, which, unfortunately for the Jags, they've had so few guys sort of be long-lasting players in recent years that you haven't gotten a real feel for who would do that normally and who wouldn't. When I was in Indy, there was a handful of guys, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Edger and James, that you just knew were only going to come to a certain amount of time. But the difference there, what I'm getting at, is that was also a case where that system had been in place for X number of years. So those veterans knew the playbook, they knew the coaches, they knew what to expect coming back. Usually when there's a new coaching staff, even the veteran who says, well, I can go train in Los Angeles, wants to be there for that first period to get a feel for the lay of the land. So I would be surprised if there may be a veteran or two that'd miss a day or two, but I'd be surprised if you got the one
2: that just was not going to be here at all but – I've been surprised before. You know what stands out to me is that Urban Meyer keeps using the term culture, culture, culture. You can't build that virtually. You, you can't build that. The it's coach, tough Yeah, it's real the, tough. The coach can lay out what his expectations are. And then his assistant coaches can help cultivate that. But you know, culture is built in the locker room. Culture is the players and the way they carry themselves, those that rise to that leadership level, and those that say, I want to be a part of this. And they're here for the voluntary part of the offseason. You can't build a culture like Meyer wants to build without people in the building. Yeah, and I think you can
3: build it in the weight room. I think if guys are around there, you know, I think you can take steps toward building the culture but i agree with you for the most part culture is built in the locker room it's built when you're walking upstairs to lunch it's built in camaraderie it's built in side conversations where urban might see somebody walking down the hall and have a quick conversation with them uh as opposed to a virtual zoom call um there's more thoughts on this coming up so i won't i won't bury (laughs) my lead (laughs) but uh Absolutely, it's a it's the story of the month. Aside from
2: the kid who's going to get drafted here, see to me later this month. And in culture, is one of those words, JP, where it, it, it can be BS to a lot of people. You know, it's very, it's kind of big, it's a broad, it's broad a, brush, kind of vague. But as I go yeah. back and look. This place hasn't had culture. You know, they tried it with Coach Moreau, Been losing culture. Yeah, well, they had it. They had. A, they had just a sliver of it when, when Tom came back, and and that year where they ran it off. But it, it didn't have any legs. It didn't. It wasn't built on rock. Uh, Gus Bradley tried to build the culture, but you have to win at some point for the culture to rise. What's well, the thing you're saying? They had culture in seventeen because they went to the AFC Championship game. As soon as they did, there's no culture.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But you know, you
2: were you were part of of that. Colts organization that over time... Now, they won a lot. I get that. that There's the correlation. But there was a standard of how things were done, right? Right. And Pittsburgh has had that even when they haven't been a championship team. Mm -hmm. There's been that Steeler way. It's too easy to say Patriot way. And I don't think that is fair because of all the championships. Patriots had culture until last year.
3: Well, right. (laughs) They had culture. All three
1: of those teams (laughs) have had quarterbacks over the years. But you know what I'm saying is
2: that there was no culture in this in this building, and we all knew that. There wasn't anything to hold it together when it got nuts, right? And when the locker room would kind of wobble a little bit. Mm -hmm. One guy, Calais Campbell, couldn't write the ship. The culture stands above and it stands apart from any particular player. Uh, Because Tom Brady walks away, and all of a sudden they they don't have culture, right? It's, it's, It's important, and it's as big, I think, a story as Trevor Lawrence, and here's why. Because they haven't had it in this building. Yep. And if you're going to transform this franchise, you have to have a culture. you
3: got to have it, and then you have to win behind it. To Absolutely. It. Yep. Otherwise, it has
1: no it has no bearing. I get it. That's a good start for our next two points yep. in big things. And, John, you know, we're talking about Phase 1 starting April 19th. But I, I guess it should have been starting today, right, for, for first-year head coaches. But yeah, it's I'll not.
3: read mine. Uh, the NFL not allowing first-year head coaches to start the offseason two weeks early is weird unfair, and you know that Urban's frustrated, and and I kind of would be, too, if I were him. It's, uh, I guess I don't quite grasp why they couldn't, if they're allowed to be doing the virtual meetings on the 19th and get that started, why the uh, teams with first-year coaches couldn't have at least started what they can do in two weeks now. And, you know, I've said it on a couple of podcasts in the last week or so, boy, the one thing that I've only been around Urban to talk to him, I think, once or twice. But the one thing that has been a theme throughout is, I want to get to know these players. Uh, it You can tell it sort of makes him nervous not being able to get to know these players, because this is what he's used to. And to him, January, February, and March is the completely logical place to get to know these guys in the weight room casually. Now, I think he gets over time that oh, the reason you can't do that in the NFL is they need an off season and if you didn't give him this time they wouldn't have any time. So I think over time he's going to grasp that. But I get it for a first year guy coming from college to not be able to get your hands on guys and start doing this. I, I've said before last couple I would not be around I would not want to be around him in these two weeks that he's losing that opportunity. Because he should be getting that opportunity. I don't see why he's not. Everybody,
1: every other first-year coach has had it for the, however many years. Yeah, except right? for
3: last year. But last year, obviously, was so yeah, weird. Yeah, but you before that, it it's been the standard. But right now, I can't really grasp why they took at least the virtual part
2: of being able to have a Zoom meeting away. Well, look, they adapted throughout the course of the season last year. So why are they not adapting here is what you're saying. If not everyone can start, adapt and go to that virtual side. Or why can you start in two weeks and not now? Well, I don't know. And and he, my understanding is that this virtual is just the beginning that they're going to eventually work their way into May and to something that, that seems more normal or at right. least as normal as you know practice was for these guys last year. It, you can be frustrated all you want. He's going to have to figure out a way sure. to do it when he get when he's got his hands on his players. And you know training camp last year if I'm not mistaken players went home. They went home every night. They didn't stay in a hotel. Right, I think they had the option
1: to, but then they. But yes, but it wasn't required like it had been in the past.
2: If I'm if I'm Urban Meyer, what I really want, if I can't have my two weeks here at the front end, is on the back end. I want to be able to have everybody in a hotel. In other words, I want to be able to build something that seems like camaraderie or esprit de corps or whatever it is that he's trying to build. I want to have these guys together for a couple of weeks in camp, and I would be fighting for that if I were him, because you guys have been around it, you know. When you go through something together, whether it's winning or losing or the preparation, there is that culture that gets built, to use that word again, among players. You can't go through it when you're leaving every day at 4 o'clock and going home. you got to be together. It's I think be if go- he could, he'd have him up at Coach Boone's
3: camp in uh, in Virginia. remember? And you talk about remember the Titans. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing.
2: Get <laughs> him out there doing four days.
3: And I think in that in the movie they pulled Junction,
1: Texas. Bring him yeah. out in the <laughs> cactus. Let's go. You know, it
2: wasn't smooth, but they made progress there. Um, I To me, the Junction boys to take Bear Bryant, <laughs> yeah, right, right? And What they yeah. went out and did. <laughs> if I'm him, I'm figuring out a way to uh, get to, something like to get yep. something like that. If I can't do it in April, I damn well better be able to do it in July. You better not stop me from July and August being able to get these guys together. The Crucible, right? i got to have them in the Crucible together going through something hard so that when I, we get to game week, I can count on them, and they can count on each other.
1: Let's wrap up our big things for this Jaguars Reporters with Brian Sexton. Um, so I, I mentioned I went – my brother-in-law drove his RV
2: down from Chicago, right? Uh, they're still sort of in a lockdown mode, and they've got four kids, and so we went and met them out in Mariana. Mm. They had been in Gulf Shores, Alabama, which mm-hmm. is a haunting ground of yours, I think, a stomping ground. In the old days, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I had never been a part of the RV life, and uh, I'm not sure I'm going to be again. But it as as I'm, <laughs> it was it was interesting. Well, um, and but no, look, RV people are great, but it's a lifestyle, right? I mean, it's a it's a very slow pace kind of thing, and. We rented an RV. You don't even have to pitch a tent or anything. I like pitching tents. Uh, My point is, is I'm walking around the RV park out there in Mariana, which it's right near Florida Caverns. If you've never been, you should take a trip out there. I I ran into clusters of New Orleans Saints fans, right? I mean, you know, people in our, they they, they have a five flag and they had all their Saints chairs. And so I didn't, you know, I didn't say, hey, I work for the Jaguars or, you know, hey, I'm from Jacksonville. I just, hey, you guys are all Saints fans. Where are you from? And this particular group was from Brandon, Florida, down in the Tampa Bay area. Mm -hmm. And I said, so are you from New Orleans? You know, you guys seem like big fans. And they weren't from New Orleans. They had no tie to New Orleans whatsoever. You know what they were a fan of? They they come up to the Panhandle a lot, which is close to New Orleans. And they were fans of Drew Brees. Big fans of Drew Brees. The other group that I ran into, same thing, fans of Drew Brees. Now, they were from... Um, a town, I forget the name of it. It's out towards Pensacola a bit, so they had some ties because it was close, and they you know spent time in New Orleans. Uh, that group said to me, "Yeah, and it, it, Drew Brees is gone, so we think we might follow the Jaguars." What? Again, wasn't wearing anything Jaguar, didn't say anything Jaguar, but they're fans of Trevor Lawrence, and I guess. We used to, in 1995, in the spring of 95, I spent a lot of time in the panhandle. We tried to build the radio network out there. And we ran into a lot of competition from the Saints and the Buccaneers. And we never really got a lot of ground. It's six hours away. I get Mm -hmm. it. However, those two groups both expressed interest to me in Trevor Lawrence. And this is a kid who is going to transcend Jacksonville, right? You talk about Mark Brunel. Um people in this area knew him, people on the West Coast knew him cuz he played college football there and people in in the upper Midwest knew him from his time in Green Bay. But he wasn't he wasn't a corner to corner kind of guy.
3: This guy is. He wasn't a rock star. Trevor's a rock a star. A rock star yeah. and he has been for years. And
2: I think the Jaguars are going to find that when they win with him, mm-hmm. they will reach into places out west of here in the Panhandle that maybe they'd never had success with before. The Jaguars fans that I ran into in Tallahassee yesterday, leaving Mass, I had a Jaguars golf shirt on, and so they, were, we, you know, they started the conversation. They're as excited as they've been, they said. You know, they come over for three or four games a year. They're talking about renewing tickets. Um, I think that he is going to reach into places and grow the fan base in a way that only winning generally does. But it was, the, it was the Breeze connection that I wanted to make because they fell in love with who Drew Breeze was and what he meant to that city. And obviously Katrina was part of that. Trevor Lawrence could come here and be a resurgent figure and, and, and lift this, this franchise to heights it's never
1: seen, and I think it's going to be really interesting. He will be the biggest player name, I think, ever to play for this franchise uh, coming in. Right, I mean, mm-hmm. there has not been, never a been, higher been a higher-profile right. player, I think, coming in out of the draft than right, Trevor Lawrence. There's only Trevor been
3: Lawrence. a handful of high. There's only been a, a handful of players this high-profile. That's right. So, yeah, it, this team has never had a great, great quarterback. No, Brunel was really good. Moreover, they've never had a great, cool quarterback. Yeah. Had Blake been good? Mm-hmm. He would have been cool, and he would have been the guy at the SB's with, right. you know, sure. the model on his arm, the whole thing. You know, mm-hmm. uh, this guy could be as, as cool as Mahomes, as cool as Aaron Rodgers, as cool as whatever. Peyton wasn't cool, but Peyton had the commercial.
2: This guy could be that if he's great. And he's a southern kid from Georgia and people feel a connection to him. I'm just telling you, I had three encounters this weekend in the panhandle that were all centered on him and the Jaguars and it as I'm driving home
1: yesterday I'm thinking this could really be this could be big. It's a good thing. There's still a, a little less than a month till the draft. We'll see yeah. what happens on uh, April 29th. Season ticket renewals are underway, but the deadline is looming. Existing season ticket members need to lock in seats. By this Friday, April 9th, demand is sky-high this year. The Jags look to play in front of a full-capacity crowd in 2021. Look for the renewal link in your email. Visit Jaguars.com or call 904-633-2000. Jaguars Reporters rolls along with Did You Hear This? It's from the Ozone podcast last week with NBC Sports NFL insider Peter King giving his initial impressions of head coach Urban Meyer.
0: The biggest takeaway is that... uh, He's got a plan. And as you've noticed, John, I'm sure you've been around him now enough to know that he's, he's got a plan. He's, he's very much drilled down to, um, the the smallest things that you have to worry about. You know, I once heard one of the Patriots say about Bill Belichick, you know, I once I once said, man, it's so, uh, it must be so difficult to play for Bill all the time must be great in some ways, but difficult. And he goes, greatest part about playing for Bill Belichick is that when I walk into training camp every year, I feel like everybody else in the NFL is starting at the goal line and we're starting at the 40 yard line, Hmm. you know, like we got a 40 yard head start on everybody else in football. And, and I think, one of the things that you've noticed with Urban Meyer as he's gone around, gone in, in his career, he, he didn't have a lot of ramp-up time when you think about it. And it's easy to hit the ground running and to win 10 games in Columbus, Ohio, and Gainesville, Florida. But, you know, his first job, he took over a, a losing team with a losing ethos at Bowling Green, and they won right away. And they won pretty much right away, too, in Utah. And so I think, honestly, that that is the biggest takeaway I had, that he's just he's got answers for everything. And, again, we'll have to see if those answers are all the right answers. And he <laughs> certainly does have – I can see very much. One of the things when I was talking to Jimmy Johnson – I don't know, maybe a month ago about urban or maybe even longer than that before he took the job. One of the things that Jimmy said basically is that, Hey, urban's not stupid. Urban sees the, the opportunity in Jacksonville. And (laughs) John, when you think about it, even though the Jaguars arguably were the worst team in football last year and their record showed it, um, how often do you get advantages like, taking a true franchise quarterback with the first pick like having more cap room than anybody in the NFL uh, and uh, having sort of a blank slate uh, that Urban Meyer has because Shad Khan has given that to him so he's got a really good opportunity in Jacksonville
1: and I found it fascinating that I guess not, you know, mind blowing. But it's Peter King had never talked to Urban Meyer before, and I guess that kind of makes sense. You know, Peter not covering college football too right. much; they're running in different circles. But it's the first uh, first meeting I think of many between those two.
3: Urban's has been a college guy. Peter's the ultimate NFL guy. I thought what was most interesting about what Peter said was um, the plan that Urban has. When er, Or uh, when Peter first heard that Urban's going to be the coach, he had a lot of the same, well, wait a minute, this is a college guy coming in. Uh, how much sense does this make? Is he going to be ready for this? Uh, and I think he has been struck by what all of us have been struck by, that the readiness and the um, overall willingness to learn – about the NFL and be transparent in that transition that Urban has been. To me, that's been the most striking thing in the last month or two. Is that Urban Meyer has been willing to talk about what he's learning, and that strikes me as a key thing because he's not coming in and acting like he knows better than the NFL. You know, you guys know what I'm getting at that. Oh yeah, that sure. He understands that there is a game to be learned here and that he has to work to learn it. I think that bodes well because every other place that he's been, as Peter alluded to in the podcast, he has won and won quickly. Bowling Green at Utah. Peter made the point. It's sort of easy to come in and you know win at Ohio State and Florida. He won in tough situations, and the upshot of Peter's podcast to me was he thinks a lot of Urban's approach will allow him to come in and do the same thing in the NFL. I think he was more optimistic after talking to Urban
2: about the Jaguars' chances than he was before talking to Urban. You know, I don't remember last year there being that many questions about Matt Rule. And I know that Rule had some time with the Giants. Um, To me... Well, he's not as polarized. Urban's a polarizing figure. And that's where I'm going with this, is that... Meyer is, in many ways, a rock star in his own in his own right. You know, three national championships at two of the biggest programs in this country, and the time on
1: Fox. Um, there's a lot of folks that aren't big fans of Urban either. By true. the way, no, well, that's he has the most interesting dynamic here. Yeah. I mean, uh, interrupt you, Brian. I
3: mean, let's face it: most fans who aren't Jaguars fans want to hate her. Most fans who aren't Jaguars fans sort of want to love Trevor. He's a lovable kid. So, you've sort of got a different dynamic mm-hmm. there. And I think Urban kind of likes sometimes being the guy that everybody loves. You know, he doesn't mind that villain role. He doesn't really care about it that much, I guess is what I'm saying. But you've sort of got a different dynamic of, boy, we love Trevor.
2: Oh, boy, I want to hate Urban, but I kind of like the Jack,
3: you know. <laughs> so, I think it's kind of fun.
1: Right. There you have it. And uh, check out the Ozone Podcast from last week Peter King with John Osier, J.P. Shadrick, Brian Sexton, John Osier, Ashlyn Sullivan is out this week. Let's get now to everyone asks where we all, you know, ask a question sure. and we all answer. that question. Uh, I'll start with this one. Um, the best playing rule proposal for 2021 coming up soon. The owners will vote on uh, 11, 12, 13 different rule change proposals. So for me, the best one is permitting the replay official and designated members of the officiating department to provide certain objective information to the on-field officials. Now, this is different from the Sky Judge thing, where they have full autonomy, which is also one of the proposals this year. But they can help with non-judgment calls, in and out of bounds, catch no catch. I'm not a fan of taking every call away from on-field officials. I also don't want robots calling balls and strikes in baseball. That's a different sport altogether. I, I'm, I'm still of the – maybe I'm old school, but human error is a part of sports. 85 World
2: Series, Don Denkinger, Game Six, yeah, first base, story Dane Org, right? Yep. Um, you go back and you look at the tape, and he's out, and, yep. and the Cardinals win the World Series in Game 6. He was out, um, and Denkinger screwed it up. Uh, the, 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 the Cardinals melted down. The Royals went on to win the series, right? Um, didn't end the world right? I mean, St. Louis would go on to win a couple more championships. Um, that, that to me, was the ultimate human error, and we all live with it. Um, now there's outrage about it, and with social media, the outrage grows, and it it never dies. <laughs> I'd hate to think about what Don Denkinger's life might have been like if there had been a Twitter and a social media. Oh, ask Bill Buckner. What, what would his life be we, like? Yeah. kidding me? It's part of yeah. the human experience yeah. that there is up and down in mistake. I, He's um, bad enough anyway. I, you, you'd... You know, well, how about how about the Saints, right? I mean, the play two years ago with Nickel Roby Coleman. Um, oh,
1: the pass interference. Yeah, yeah. the non pass I mean,
2: interference. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's but the world kept moving.
1: Right. No, they changed the rule for a year though. They well, they, went they overboard did. and but, then pulled it back.
2: But the Saints have still been a, a they were a championship caliber program. Yeah. The world kept spinning. Um, I like a little bit of the. I don't like. I think we have to have the human element in it, and it doesn't bother me at all. We all live with it. It's sport. It's the toy department. Let's move on. They're trying to make this like a video game where there is no mistake at all, and no one has to deal with any tragedy or, or heartbreak in the game. It happens. Ask the poor kids at um, UCLA, right, with the shot that went oh, in. Yeah. I mean, they, they think they're going to do to two overtimes, and then that kid hits that miracle shot. They live with it. You go on. That, that's what makes sports so compelling is that you could lose.
1: What do you think, John?
2: I've got a rule I don't
1: like, JP. What's that?
2: This numbers thing.
1: Oh, I'm kind of with you on this, but go ahead.
3: Get off my lawn, Brian. <laughs> you you like the tradition. <laughs> Have a number. You don't need DBs wearing 11. You don't need DBs wearing 8. Wear 20 to, uh, what is it now, 20 to... 49, right? Right. Fine. Whatever. That's fine. They put these in a long time ago for a reason so that people watching the game, if, if, if they didn't necessarily know the player's name on the back, you could see, but if a guy was wearing 50 to 59 or what, a 91 to 99, he was a linebacker. That's fine. You don't need to go with, it, I don't need my quarterback wearing 92. Just I don't think you can, obviously, but no. have the, Pick a number. Stay in the lane. It's fine.
1: I guess the issue that the Chiefs brought this up because they had so many players play last year that they were out of numbers for defensive backs. So I think they had to get the league to say, "Hey, you can have a, a, a number that's out of place." So their proposal is to expand the roster, the, the numbers anyway. Well, I'm if kind of with an you, John. Auxiliary. Like okay, right. if you've run out of numbers then you can go into this other area. But. I think that's what happened last year. Okay. Why don't you just make that the rule? That's right. fine. No. And keep zero out of the game, please. They put well, that in college football. That's just a thing. I know I Jim Otto saying. wore double zero. So I did Ken get that. Burrow. Okay.
2: I, I, I like the double zero. I, I guess I'd leave that retired just because those are the only two guys I can think of that sure. wore it on a regular basis. What what number did George Blanda wear when he was 46 S- years old? 16, yeah, I think. Yeah, he wore it all the cool. way through.
1: Huh. All right. I wish I cared
2: enough about it. I mean, it's just – I just – all right. We're a number. Life goes on. Sun, sun
1: will rise in the east. Brian, ask us something.
2: Well, uh, you know, last week when there was that that hue and cry out of uh, out of Washington with the CDC and the president talking about, you know, keep wearing masks and and, and states should go back to it. I thought, oh, are we going to stay virtual? Um, our what we do for a living is based on relationships and relationships aren't formed. In a virtual world, you just, you, you can't. And, and I had a guy um, at the gym over the weekend say to me, or last week, say to me, hey, I, you know, I met Jay Gruden. And I said, well, that's great. I never did get to meet Jay Gruden, right? Because we were in quarantine when he arrived, and I only met him virtually, right? And the guy's like, really? And I, he said, it's hard to do your job when you, it, it absolutely, and that's my point, is if we're staying virtual, it has a dramatic impact. I haven't met Urban Meyer yet, right? I, I I know a couple of the coaches, so I've seen a couple of the coaches. But this whole business is based on human interaction, kind of like we are talking earlier, the human error side of things with sport. Um, it's the relationships that make this a rich business to get into and stay in. You know, you, people, they're here and they move on, and you can pick up the phone and call someone in Minnesota or Los Angeles and get a perspective on what's going on in Jacksonville. And And I have... I have long held to the relationships that I've made in 28 years of doing this. Just walked in this morning and there's AJ Can, you know, who I hadn't seen. He waves and goes, hey, Brian, you know, he's in his truck. And I'm like, oh, there's a guy that I like. I've told his story. I know about his sister and his dad and and his affinity for cats. Yeah, but you only did you know?
1: that by spending time with him in the locker room exactly. for 10 minutes and I keep, when,
2: without a microphone. And I, exactly. And I keep hearing that the locker room's going to be closed in 2021. I don't know if they know that yet. But I oh, guess what God. I'm saying is how do you guys feel about how this changes the way that you do your jobs?
3: Uh, it's not good. I mean, in, in the short term, the way I do my job and the way you guys do your job, you can get through it. You can do a job. You can provide uh, some insight to the fans. You can give them content.
1: I can get a sound bite out of what we have yeah. available. That's but fine. It, right.
3: it's certainly not as uh, it's certainly not as rich. I mean, I, I told uh, <coughs> I had a uh, ozone podcast with uh, Daryl Bevel this week, and uh, we conducted it last Thursday. And I and uh, Daryl's really good in interviews. But I kind of told him before and after, and we both kind of laughed about it. I was like, hey, I appreciate you doing this, but it's still a weird time because he's here. I've talked to him once face to face. Ordinarily, I'd have been doing that ozone podcast either sitting here or, you know, probably here, but we'd have had five or 10 minutes beforehand to sit and talk face to face, and I get to know each other a little bit. Good for me, bad for him on that level, but overall, that's a better way of doing business. You can get through it, but I think we bring a better product to the
2: fans when we're face to face with people. Good question, Brian. Well, I think you'd agree. Thank you. I think yeah. you'd agree that whatever whoever's listening to this, whatever you do for a living, when you get up every morning, you want to do your best, right? You want to bring the best JP in here to do this, just like John does. Well, maybe but, you know, Bob, who's listening, who is a plumber, wants to do his best. Everyone does. It's frustrating when you feel like you could do better. And, it, and, and for you and I in the broadcast medium especially, with the microphone off. It's not quite the same for the writers because you know the mics are always off. But you can grab a guy off to the side and ask for a little perspective. AJ many times has told me, hey, you know, uh, the offensive line didn't play as bad as people are saying, and here's why. And I'd say to him, hey, can I use that? And he'd go, yeah, you can use it. Right? But if the microphone's on, he's thinking about every word he mm-hmm. says because in the social media world, nothing ever dies. Well, you get a player who's going to give you something honest and truthful that you wouldn't get in a group setting. I, I I miss that. I miss the ability to get to know someone. That's
1: important to me. John, will you take us on home with everyone asked today?
3: Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm looking uh, forward to this, by the way. In honor Into the microphone, of, please. Of,
1: of, of Gonzaga's shot.
3: Um, It can be Jaguars or otherwise, or both. What's the best finish to a game that you've ever covered, uh, JP?
1: Man, this is this is a tough one. I I had to think about this. There's been so many games in different uh, areas. Well, first, is there a Jaguars game that you consider? Well, to cover, you know, uh, the uh, the because it takes a lot. It's got to be a great finish. Yeah, great finish. there's been a lot lately, right? You know, 2017. It wasn't like coming down to field goals every week. It right, was, you know they were winning games. Um, the the way the Steelers playoff game ended was kind of tight at the end. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a field goal at the end. So that that might be the closest one since I've worked here. I think
3: that yeah, the only one I think of since you've been here is the Cecil Shorts play against Indy. Yeah. Sort of felt like a finish.
1: And then they had to bat away a Hail Mary at the end of that Yeah, so it wasn't too. even really a finish. But, but it yeah. was close, yeah. I mean, they yeah, scored so within two minutes to go and, Right, it's the best and took the lead. Overall, you've ever uh, and then that, that's probably right there, too. And then there was week one of that season as well, 2012, in Minneapolis. Jaguars score a touchdown, right. Gabbert to shorts. And then they hit a field goal to go overtime and then hit another field goal. Yeah. And that was Adrian Peterson's first game back. That's probably a good one. But I'm going to go back to my college days, working with CBS Sports. I was a spotter in the booth for a number of years for Vern Lundquist, and we did so many big time games, right? So just, it was the game of the week. I was thinking about it, and I had to go back to 2006. And this is at War Memorial Stadium in Little Rock, Arkansas, the day after Thanksgiving, LSU number nine, Arkansas number five. And there were three, it's the fourth quarter, and there were three touchdowns scored in a 45 second span in the fourth quarter. Uh, Jamarcus Russell to early set for a score. Then, yeah, the ensuing that. drive, Darren McFadden in the Wild Hog goes 80 yards for the first play touchdown. Ensuing kickoff, Trendon Holiday, 92-yard touchdown return for LSU. That ensuing kickoff, Felix Jones goes 62 yards and gets caught from behind and later scores a touchdown. Arkansas was like, that was the most exciting five minutes of football I think I've ever seen. And they were still down by five. They never got over the top. <laughs> and... Um you know, LSU ended up winning that game. But it was like Bedlam at War Memorial Stadium. Yeah. Fifty five thousand people. That that was and then O seven Florida LSU. I could go on and on, sure. but that that was the one I picked out just immediately, we think Bri. So um a couple thoughts. For the Jaguars, I mean
2: ninety six Morton Smith was a mm-hmm. Dramatic ending because, you know, the Jaguars had, they had won four in a row and they needed to beat the Falcons, the lowly Falcons, right? I mean, they came in with three wins on the season and and it was Bobby Bear and they were just dragging their butt up and down the field. But they, they had Ironhead Hayward as the running back and he was pounding the Jaguars that day. And they were on the verge of losing. And, and we knew because Kansas City had lost that if the Jaguars would win that game, they were going into the playoffs. You know, and, and from four and seven to the playoffs – I mean, the city was just—it was—it was—it was tinder, ready to be lit. And Morton misses, and the city went nuts. And of course, everyone remembers that—that. That, well, if you don't, look it up. That that playoff run in '96. Um, in two uh, two thousand ten, we had uh, Scobey with the fifty nine yard field goal to beat the Colts, and that was dramatic. And a little bit uh, later that season, you had David Garrard throwing to Mike Thomas. Hell, Mary. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and that Hail was real bleeping Mary. Yeah, remember yeah, that? Yeah. Right? <laughs>
1: How did that happen? That's unbelievable. Mike Simms, Walker, batted it back. Oh, hell,
2: Yeah, my mom heard that, and she thought I actually said that. I called Golick and Greenberg <laughs> and gave it to him on that one. That was fun, though. Um, those were great moments in Jaguars history. You know, because it was basketball and I watched it on Saturday night, it took me back to the East Regional Final in 1990. If you remember Scotty Burrell, who at the time was the first man to ever be drafted in the first round of two major sports because he was drafted for Major League Baseball as well as in the NBA. And Clemson had him on the ropes. I mean, there's one second left, and Clemson had hit a shot. And so Burrell threw a court-length pass. I mean, literally, the length of the court to Tate George, who caught it facing the sideline, turned and just threw up a blind three-point shot Mm. to win. And until this shot on Saturday night, that play... Tate George's three-point shot at the end of that game to beat Clemson in 1990 was it, – it, look it up, folks. Because of YouTube, you can enjoy it again. It was – it was to me, it was more dramatic because you had to go the length of the court in one freaking second. Wow. They had 3.3 seconds on Saturday night. John, what's yours? I, I'm going to amend mine, but go ahead. Um, well, <laughs> Jaguars-wise, for some reason,
3: when I was thinking about this, I guess I assumed Morton's missed so much that I still go back to the Bill Cowher play. Was yeah, the block it was goal. week
2: three in nineteen ninety
3: seven. Yeah, there was something about that finish that was somehow more exciting than the Morton miss. Maybe because it was the Morton miss was a miss. Certainly, the Morton was uh, the most meaningful finish. But the most bizarre finish was seeing the block kick and yeah. then Chris Hut. You know, uh, so that's in there for me. Um, overall, the best finish I ever covered. Uh, first year covering the University of Florida. This was nineteen ninety three. Uh, Danny Warfel to Chris Doring with three seconds left beats Kentucky at Kentucky in a game that it was a different era then it was broadcast locally here on SEC television but now that game would be seen by pretty much everybody Um, a Gator fan saw it but it was really the first game of Danny Warfel being Danny Warfel and they had trailed I think they had thrown seven interceptions in the game, Florida, Mm -hmm. and then a Werfel hits Doring with like a 35-yard touchdown pass with three seconds left, and it made Mick Huber's career and the whole thing. So (laughs) that's the most memorable finish of any game I've ever covered, but I would go with Chris Hudson for Jaguars.
1: I'm amending mine, and I'm I'm going back to the Florida LSU rivalry. I mentioned it earlier, 07. LSU um, was number one in the country. Florida is number 9. They had lost the week before. And Florida led by 10 three different times in the game, including going into the fourth quarter. LSU was 5-for-5 five five on fourth down conversions in the game. Jacob Hester scored on a two-yard touchdown run with just over a minute left. Place erupts. It's prime time. CBS, huge game. And that was the Tebow cell phone game. They had gotten Tebow's cell phone that week, LSU people. So he had scored. He had a huge game. All that happened in the same game. But this year... The Fog Bowl, LSU at number six, Florida. I called the game on touchdown radio. You couldn't see the right end zone, and LSU kicked a field goal, fifty-seven yarder, to take the lead with thirty seconds left, and then McPherson missed one for Florida with no time left from fifty-one, yeah. and that was and and there was a shoe thrown in the game. Marco Wilson threw the shoe on the field goal drive for LSU. They got an unsportsmanlike kept the drive alive. They ended up winning the game. That's it, probably it. it. I amended mine. I'm it, sorry. So apparently you weren't at the kick six game. I was not. I was in my apartment in Riverside. I just wanted to bring it up. In disbelief. That is, that, there's not going to be one that, that beats that it, one. Right, that's an incredible. Right. It, yeah.
2: uh, it brings to mind something you're old enough to have watched and as an enthusiast you're old enough to know. Yeah. The great Jim McKay and the uh, wide world of sports on mm-hmm. Saturday afternoons. Mm-hmm. The thrill of victory <laughs> and the agony of defeat. That's right. It's the human condition.
1: Yeah, I always remember that. The guy, the guy falling yeah. down the hill, the agony of the Arms peak. and legs everywhere. The right. victory and the agony He's of the uh, Remember to subscribe to the official Jaguars Podcast Network. It's on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us comments and a five-star rating. And that's it for everyone asked. And that's it for Jaguars reporters, for John Ogier, Brian Sexton, Joe Fortunato, our producer, and for Ashton Sullivan. we will be back with us soon. I'm J.P. Shadrick. We'll catch you next week.